This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and somewhere in Los Angeles. Oro was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to create a treatment center that helps addicts and alcoholics by using compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades and decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is critical when kicking heroin or crack or meth or whatever. It's critical. They have uh, amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, surfing, equine therapy, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Everyone that I know that's been to Oro cannot say enough good things about it. It was rated like number five out of every rehab in the world in Newsweek. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get help, I cannot suggest going to Oro enough. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. What is Sober Buddy? Sober Buddy is an app that helps you get and stay sober no matter where you are in your recovery journey. If you are not sober yet, it helps you establish uh, whether you'll want to or not. The pros and cons of using or sobriety. If you're long-time sobriety, it has really cool mindfulness challenges that keeps you on the path. I love this app. I never thought I would love a sobriety app, and I love Sober Buddy. It is available at the App Store and the Google Play Store, or you can get it at YourSoberBuddy.com. They also have a free Sober Buddy tracker, so download that right now and post your clean time. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They are a full-service accounting firm that can help with your taxes, your bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. Perhaps more important than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead 
Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now and knows the struggle as well as the success. Use the promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. Also, go sign up for Patreon. Patreon is amazing. There's interviews. Last week we did a mini episode. There's tons of video, tons of special pre-released on Patreon. Uh, also, you can go to the Dopey Patreon Zoom if you are a $5 or more contributor. Everybody loves the Dopey Patreon Zoom. Go to Patreon for even more Dopey. It's at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Also, if you ever want candles, you can get them at the Dopey Podcast website, dopeypodcast.com, or go to the northavcandlecompany.com. That's NorthAvCandleCompany.com slash collections slash dopey. Get the candles. They're incredibly high quality. All right, enough with the fucking ads. Here is the show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. I'm joined by author and advice columnist and sometime equestrian, Aaron Carr. Hi. Strung out author, Aaron Carr. Dude, how good is the fucking machine? It's so good. This is very exciting. It's very exciting over here at 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 Dopey Dopey headquarters. (laughs) This is is Dopey headquarters. This is the urban center (laughs) of Dopey. So I was recently at Barstool Sports mm-hmm. on the Friend of Jerry podcast. Yes. I, I've been trying to get this guy, Jersey Jerry, to come on Dopey for a long time. He invited he never came on Dopey and he invited me on his show instead because he like didn't have a guest or whatever. <laughs> and I went to Barstool Sports. It was weird though, because that day, that day, John Joseph was coming here. Uh-huh. Jeremy Jackson was going to call in and jer- and I was going to meet Jersey Jerry. That's a lot of juzz. That's three <laughs> JJs in the same day. And I yeah. figured that was very mystical. That is. Somehow. And yet it wasn't. John Joseph did come over. We did that show. Jeremy Jackson, I, I think he canceled on me or he didn't. Something went wrong. And and I went and I met uh, Jersey Jerry at Barstool. And it was exciting. It was fun. Really beautiful studios they have. They just got bought yeah. by somebody, right? Some yeah. big deal went down. And he came here this week to record Dopey. And I was kind of bragging about how the fans bought me that he comes in and he sees the roadcaster. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, the fans bought me that equipment. And he and it was all lit up and everything. And he was like, cool. And he was like, <laughs> he was all impressed. And we sat down to record and it didn't work. Like it, I know it, it wasn't on. It wasn't lit up. He was right. just impressed as it looked not lit up, but the power didn't work. Oh, it no. didn't come on. We wound up recording on the old equipment, which uh-huh. is much less impressive, which is this. Oh, wow. It's so tiny. The Zoom recorder. <laughs> and uh, and everything broke, and they don't they didn't sell a replacement, so I went to B&H. They didn't sell a replacement power cord, so I went to B&H, and I bought... I was going to just get a, a new old one, but they were so gung-ho on the new, new one, and I think it actually sounds better. I think it sounds great, and it really, it's more compact. It looks really cool. I like it. I like it, too. Yeah. I mean, but... It's really pretty. I know. I'm really ex- I'm really excited to have yeah. the whole thing. And um, 
So look for me on Jersey Jerry. Go listen to me on Jersey Jerry. Yes. And if you don't support Dopey on Patreon, support Dopey on Patreon. <laughs> and subscribe to YouTube. Haven't haven't shot with Howie in like a month. I know. Well, you've been traveling all over the place. I've been traveling. <laughs> and you've been traveling. Yep. You you went to this incredible estate in New Hampshire. <laughs> Did you talk to any real local New Hampshire people there? I mean, I guess like in the little town, yeah. New Hampshire accent is probably the best accent. It's around. pretty good. There are, I mean, much, I don't know. I, I think I like people in New Hampshire slightly better than Maine. Sorry, Maine. But it is it is definitely like, it's a specific type of personality in that part of the Northeast. I feel like people in Maine are more entitled because they have lobster. And people <laughs> in New Hampshire just have wilderness. I'm serious. That's really funny. We went to Maine and... It's it's a whole Patreon episode yes, now. I told to Aaron to this it. very long story of my horrible goings ons, going ons in in Maine in the Life Is Good store. But I love New Hampshire. I and, love New Hampshire too. And you remember the old Pepperidge Farm commercials where you'd say Pepperidge Farm remembers, <laughs> and it was all New Hampshire accent. That's right. And uh, we, me and Chris, used to do that. <laughs> do you remember Pepperidge Farm remembers? <laughs> Um, and that's about as much of a New Hampshire accent as yeah. I have. But uh, the people in New Hampshire are better than the people in Maine. I think so, too. I really, really like New Hampshire. This is a house my dad owns. It's the second like, the second home he's owned in New, New Hampshire. And it's like... New Hampshire! New Hampshire. That's good. Uh, and I really like it. It's very, very relaxing. I got to do a big jigsaw puzzle with my dad. <laughs> Which was fun. Where was the Where was the kid, Franklin? I mean, he was there, but I had two sets of grandparents and my little sister and my husband. So there was like a lot of nice time know, to do a jigsaw was, puzzle. Yes, I had a lot more help than I normally do at home. Does anyone ever call you the puzzler? The pu well, no, because my dad is like the pu my dad and I are like a weird <laughs> ADD version of who's going to finish the puzzle. So like. And we both can get like hyper focused on it, but then also like a little bit competitive about doing certain sections of it. It's, it gets done really fast because we're both like obsessively going back to the puzzle. And the funny thing is the puzzle, they set it up. They have like a, a really amazing view of the lake, this lake. Um, it's a big property and they there's a huge window and the puzzle's right in front of it. And I always think, like, this seems ridiculous that we're, like, bent over this table, like, focusing on this stupid jigsaw puzzle when there's this amazing view out the window. I'll show you. Pic I've never shown you pictures. I'll show you pictures. I love uh, jigsaw puzzles, and I, I cannot wait to get back to having time to puzzle away. Yes. My dad, when he was, I think he was in between... Uh, women mm -hmm. at the time and he got into puzzling i love it and this table my dad's very upset about the state of this table I, I you know what i was just thinking like a few minutes ago like i can't believe that alan just lets dave have this table like this you've seen my house this would make me insane i know describe <laughs> it to the dopey nation it's just a bunch uh there's a bunch of dopey merch there's candles hats there's boxes from the equipment there's gear dave's backpack a bunch of headphones papers stacked up is this what add looks like it kind of yeah, yeah. it's it's an externalization of your add my dad really <laughs> wants this to be cleaned up let's do i mean i can't do it today but if you would like me to help you organize this we could get like storage for you so that you put your shit away i know let's not let's not go down that all right. Hole right now. all right all right all right yeah last weekend we went glamping 
to uh, Greenport, Long Island, mm-hmm. which is out by Orient Point. Very, oh, okay. you know that fancy part of yes. the world? And we, we rented an RV and we had the dog and it was wild. Orient Point is like the point that comes back around and you can see from like Connecticut, right? Yeah, Orient yeah, yeah. Point's where you take the you take a, a ferry to Connecticut. And when we went to Maine, that's how we went. And then and we took the ferry. Oh, you took the ferry to which Maine. Which is really oh, nice. that's cool. You can go to Block Island from there too. When um when Chris died, I I I took the Amtrak to Boston and my dad met me in Boston and we took the ferry, we drove back and we took the ferry back and it's like uh it's interesting how like when something serious happens, like that that thing is always you'll always remember that yeah. thing, you know. Um but but I we the traveling has been good. It's a, li- a little much, a yeah. little too much traveling. Before I say anything else, I want to say that I want to tell everybody about the Happy Cat Sanctuary in Suffolk County, Long Island, because the Happy Cat Sanctuary took Onyx from us, uh, took her in, didn't kill her, took her in. Uh, there's a man who runs it named Chris. He's a fucking saint. It is a Happy Cat Incorporated is a nonprofit, no kill cat adoption agency, trap, neuter, return facilitator and sanctuary in Suffolk County, Long Island, New York. Uh, they specialize in the rescue and rehabilitation of at-risk cats, including cats that have been shot at, hoarded, abused, neglected, and targeted by gangs for use as bait in dog fighting rings. I was trying to find a gang to use Onyx in the dog fighting <laughs> ring. I just couldn't find anybody that was interested in Suffolk and <laughs> Sayville. There was just no Sayvillian gang wandering around looking to fight, but Onyx would have been a primo bait in the dog in the dog fighting ring. And then Winnie could have been one of the, the, the dogs <laughs> fighting. It could have been like you know, we have a lot of real serious pet owners in, in the Dopey Nation. I'm just kidding. Have you seen... Uh, you have Disney Plus. Uh, do I have... Of yeah, course I, I have you Disney do. Plus. I know you do. That was really dumb of me to ask. But have you seen Kitbull? No. It's a Pixar short that my youngest, Franklin, is obsessed with. And it's about a dog that's like brought in for like dog fighting who makes friends with like this little stray kitten and they escape together. Like nice. Escape the. How long is it? It's like ten minutes long. I don't think you let Franklin watch long enough movies. Oh my god, he does watch long enough movies, but he's not really like he's not that interested in a screen for that long. Really? Yeah. Does, Am I not close enough to the mic? No, not for me. It? I know, but then I'm like, literally, my lips are touching the mic. <laughs> I know. I just I like that. I like it. Sounds better that way. I know. Okay. All right. Um. Did you did he watch Sea Beast? No. Oh, Sea Beast. I have to say, I wreck Dopey Nation. If you have a kid, or if you don't, Sea Beast. Sea Beast on Netflix. Holy shit, it's so good. He's my child is really into these. It's on like kids YouTube. It's this Indian scientist who it's like they're animated and he explains things. This is what my child watches. Like what happens to your eyes when you die. Um, wow. What would happen if you never took another shower? What would happen if you Where never does he slept see these again? Videos? On kids YouTube. Like there's a separate app. So it's wow. all like filtered. That seems very advanced. He's very, uh, all he wants to do, he's kind of nerdy. Like he really is interested in anatomy and biology. Susan and, likes that stuff too. Yeah. I make Susan watch Camp Cretaceous. Camp Cretaceous is a show on Netflix uh-huh. about kids that go to Jurassic Park for camp uh-huh. and then bedlam ensues Ooh. and they're tra- it's like yeah. lost meets mm-hmm. Jurassic Park and they're trapped there and it's I think it's got five seasons and in the newest season 
like there's like romance between the kids and oh. they're, they're cartoons mm-hmm. and there's romance between <laughs> the tween or, or young teen cartoons, which I was like, this is kind of weird. And then, and now it's a lesbian romance mm-hmm. with the, the cartoon teens, but they're not showing anything. No, they're just saying how he, she likes her friend, but it's a girl. Right. It's shocking to me. Shocking. <laughs> I mean, two things are shocking. Okay. Number one, it's like, why? It's like when you're a kid and you watch a fucking cartoon, you don't need romance. You don't need the boy to like the girl in the no. cartoon. You don't need but that. But maybe this isn't really aimed at her age group. Maybe what? it's is it aimed at older. My, is it aimed at my no, age group? But maybe it's but but there is, but for like tweens, they want to see romance. It's too young. It's it's a cartoon about dinosaurs. Tweens don't want to watch that. All right. I don't know. It's shocking. Me and Nora are like why is there romance? And then it's lesbian romance. Uh-huh. And we're like, holy shit, this is fucking advanced. Well, advanced it's just, television. you know what it is? It's just like, it's, I mean, I think that's good in that they're just like dropping in representation. I have a recommendation for you on Netflix, city of ghosts, city of ghosts. It's a kid's cartoon. It's about these kids in Los Angeles who investigate ghost stories, but it, a lot of them really get into like the history of LA. Franklin, is obsessed with this show. There's only one season. It came out last year. It's so good. All right, and it's we'll watch really it. relaxing to watch. Are you going to watch Camp Cretaceous? I might check it out. I, I've we're at season five. All right, I won't stop watching it, and it's not good. Well, the, I don't want to watch it if it's not good. You have to watch all right, it anyway. All right, right. All right. Um. So I said, sub, did I say subscribe to yeah. YouTube? Yes. I said subscribe to Patreon. Mm-hmm. DopeyCon. It's coming up so soon. It's, it's right around the corner. Less than two months away. It's like six weeks away. I want to ask you, dopes in the Dopey Nation, do you have your ticket to DopeyCon? Do you have it? Get your ticket. Get your ticket. Come on down. They're going to be gone in yeah. a minute. Yeah. We're going to be out of tickets. And if you were like, fuck, I wanted to go, especially if you're in the tri-state area. Yeah. It's like, it's it's Saturday, October 1st. It's taking place. I believe it starts at 6.30 p.m., it will be catered by the world-famous Katz's Deli. Brandon Novak is confirmed. Andy Roy is confirmed. Looks like New York Times writer, harm reduction expert, and author Maya Salowitz is going to be there. Awesome. Uh, unlicensed advice columnist and elite <laughs> equestrian Aaron Carr is going to be there. Fucking uh, Linda will be there. My dad will be there. My husband might drop by. He Seth said. <laughs> will be there. Smiling Joe. And dopes from all over the world. Yeah. So please come to DopeyCon. Uh, there are tickets available, um, whatever. You go to the Dopey website and there's a banner. There's a and link. Someone's like, I don't know how to get the tickets off the link. Click it, you fucking <laughs> idiot. Click the fucking link. How do you not know? That's what you do. You see a link, you fucking click it, and then you can buy tickets. All right? Does that make sense? Yes. What, you think makes... I'm too harsh? <laughs> no, Give me it's a just break. funny. All right. And then also, if you happen to be in Utah, I mean, maybe there's a couple of dopes in Utah. I That's haven't really true. checked the statistics in a while. I'm going to be appearing at the Park City Song Summit in Utah. Isn't that weird? It's really weird. But what's even funnier is that I saw your notes upside down. And then I I thought that said Party City, like the party supply store. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what story he has about Party City. Do you know my grandma, my my grandma Pearl worked at Party City for like 20 years. I really like the name Pearl. But I think it was called Party Palace on Queens Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And my grandma ran that shit. She ran it. If you... If you and Linda some, somehow magically had a third daughter, you should name her Pearl. Pearly. I think Pearl is such a cute name. She was a very, very sweet and cute woman. 
in the end though she was a little bit uh a little bit demented and yeah. would and would talk yiddish while the credits rolled on uh <laughs> Family Feud. She would say weird <laughs> shit in Yiddish at the TV and scare at a very specific Nora. time. But she was very, very. She was like the sweetest uh, person I ever knew, actually. And she mm. made really fucking good chocolate cake, mm. chocolate chocolate chip cake. Yeah, unbelievable. So I'm a really big fan of our guest. Uh, our guest is a uh, Sam called it a memist. He is a memist. He, he's an artist who works in the medium the memeium of memes <laughs> and he's, his name is max and he goes by fucking sober and he has just like a huge following mm -hmm. i think he is a brilliant memist if he that is. is a word and um we're gonna get to him in a minute but before we get to him i need to say that this episode of dopey is sponsored by better help not better health better help how do you take? You take care of your mind in a lot of ways. I do. You decant do. milk. You decant <laughs> uh, dishwashing detergent. You fucking, you do therapy. Yes. Online therapy I here do. and there. Always online it's, therapy. I mean, it has been the last couple of years, yeah. Um, You need to take care of your mind in order to have a nice life, right? I think, I mean, I think for most of us, yes. I think the answer is yes. I love online therapy. Me it, too. it helps me put things where they belong mm -hmm. which is very helpful if you have ADD yes and it turns out I have really bad ADD <laughs> uh, and better help is online therapy that offers video phone and even live chat only therapy sessions so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to it's much more affordable than in-person therapy you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours and our listeners get 10% off their first month at better help dot com slash dopey podcast that's b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot com slash dopey podcast take care of your brain because your brain will take care of you it's your most important investment is yourself a hundred percent right you ever yeah. heard that yes i have heard that who said you hear that from that's like a like a colloquialism really i think so who says that i don't know people say like your best investment is in yourself right well i think they're right um I've been listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. What had happened was I shouldn't give them a fucking ad, but I it's a really good podcast. What had happened was it's about like hip hop, uh, different figures in hip hop. Uh -huh. First season is Prince Paul, who did all the De La Soul yeah, records. Yeah. Uh, he also did uh, a RZA record. You know, Grave Grave Diggers. He mm -hmm. did uh, he did the Chris Rock records, mm -hmm. all of his records. And then, and then the second season is LP from Run the Jewels, and I'm oh, not yeah. as familiar with LP. Although he he was a raucous records rapper, and I used to deliver weed to raucous records really? back in the day. And the third season is with Dante Ross, who's going to be on Dopey. Oh, awesome! Which I'm very excited That's about because really he produced a shitload of really really good hip hop. But I they do an ad for Better Help, and he says on their ad. The best thing you can invest in is your brain. Oh, and I, he's right. Yeah, I like him. <laughs> His name is Open Mike Eagle. And I found out about that show because of uh, B. Getz, Dopey, mm -hmm. Dopey Nation Faithful, B. Getz. And he has a podcast called The Upful Life. There you go. I'm throwing out a lot of plugs. I'm just like, it's <laughs> raining in plugs. And then another podcast I like is Recovery in the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. which is our friend Nat Kingsley 
who will also be at DopeyCon. I need to check. That. I haven't checked out that podcast yet. You, you should go on it. They right. lo- he loves you. Oh, that's so he nice. Thinks I you're love so, to hear that. You're like, I love him. <laughs> Never heard him, but I love him too. You know who else is going to be on DopeyCon, by the way? It's who? a big, big announcement. Fucking Ray Brown. Oh, yay. That's awesome. Ray Brown will be I've doing... I've never met Ray, so I'm very excited. He is a very, very pleasant fellow. And he's going to be playing a few songs at DopeyCon. Nice. So get ready. If you want to see Ray, if you want to meet Ray, just come to DopeyCon. And, uh, and now our guest uh, from Belgium. This is very exciting. Uh, I think you have the biggest... Uh, I mean, I'm, you probably don't. I don't know why I'm saying that you do. The biggest sobriety meme page in the world. You help a <laughs> shitload of people. You, I mean, it's one of my very, very, very most favorite pages. Probably my most favorite of meme pages. But I don't want to say that to alienate any of the other meme people that I deal with. But his name is Max. You might know him as fucking sober. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. It's a dubious distinction. Thank you. I'm but honored. What made you do this? And does anyone call oh, you fucking sober? Is, is this, this? I mean, you were on DopeyCon too, and I called you fucking sober, uh, which was yeah. That was embarrassing though, because I was so nervous. It was so ridiculous. Um, no, I mean, look, I my wife she couldn't care less that I do this, and most of my close friends don't even know that I do this. It's such a. It just blew out. It just got out of hand. It, it was this thing that I started doing for fun, and then it really blew up. And now, but it's such a weird thing because I'm not. Good God, I'm not famous. Good Lord. But um, I mean, within the recovery, if if you're in recovery and you're younger than most, and you have an Instagram account, maybe you follow me. If you're it. in recovery and you're on Instagram, then you're pretty famous. Okay. Yes. Within that realm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, in that realm, you're pretty, you're pretty famous in that realm. What made you do it in the first place? Uh, I just wanted to make my sponsor laugh, honestly. Like I was, like I was, he, my old sponsor um, was younger than me and like was really funny. And like, we just, we joked a lot. And so I just started making these, I started, I found a couple of because there are a couple of recovery accounts around. There were when I started, and so I started sending him some of these memes, and he was laughing. And I was Who like, "Who were you know the what? ones that I were went... around when when you started?" Oh well, Dank Recovery, of course. He's been around forever. Yes, we love then, um, Dank. <clears throat> yeah, and then um, Twelve Step memes, and then this other one that I that she blocked me. She, the, the first person I I like said my first name Max to within my meme account, she blocked me, and like I don't know what happened. She just went crazy and. Didn't I, I didn't do anything weird. I didn't say anything. Who was she? Inappropriate or anything. A girl, uh, what is it? Girl power memes, something like that. Okay. And, and she, uh, but uh, so she, she's not even that, I don't even know if she does it anymore. She, or if her account's accounting this anymore. But like she was specifically talking about being in recovery. As, so Dank, Dank Recovery talks about like the craziness of addiction a lot. Yeah, but like I wanted to talk about what was um. Oh Jesus, I'm gonna sound like a pompous asshole. No, no, <laughs> I, please, no I don't think you realize this, Max. Like people are on Instagram. Like I see Instagram like cigarettes. Like wh- like a minute passes. I'm like, wait a sec. I need to look at Instagram. So you right. need, you need to know that there's you have 227 thousand followers that are constantly jumping on, looking and seeing you. 
And I think it's very, it's like, it's very rare that you can hear the story of somebody like you in this context. So don't sound, don't worry that you sound pompous. It's a way that people can get to know your story that, that follow you all the time anyway, that are constantly looking at your creations. So don't, don't, don't be <laughs> self-conscious of it. Seriously. All right. All right. I, I'll stop being self-conscious. <clears throat> so what I wanted to do was explore the art, the, the connection. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, I just, you know, it's really fucking weird getting sober. And like, I'm, I'm very an adult, you know, I'm rapidly approaching middle age too. I have a kid now and, but you know, I'm still very much, I mean, maybe I'm just immature, but also like I checked out most of my adult life. So like being sober and like learning how to be a human, again, is really, you know, it's funny if it's not depressed. It's really depressing and scary at first. But then looking at that, it's like, wow, that's that's really kind of funny. Like, I'm, I, I look like an adult. I act like an adult. I have adult responsibilities, but I think like a child. Yeah, but somehow and, you don't think like an adult, right? No, no. And so, like, there's a lot of, you can, it's just really funny. I think it's, and I, there's a lot of humor in that. And, like, you know, I would joke with my sponsor a lot and then he became really more my friend. And then, um, and then I like all my, like all my friends in recovery who I like and identify with the most, like we laugh nonstop at how crazy we are. I mean, we, like we have, you know, we have all adult responsibilities and we have lives and jobs and some of us have kids and stuff. We're married, but like, <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, uh, my, the first thing I think if I have a problem at work is, Fuck it, I'm out. I'm gonna go like I'm. Ne I'm walking out this door. I'm never coming back here again. I'm gonna. I, I live in Belgium normally, so like I'm like I'm. Fuck it, I'm leaving Belgium. I'm never gonna see these people ever again. I'm gonna buy a ticket to Tahiti and that's it. Fuck off. And burn, like burn that's weird. And right. yeah, yeah, burn it all down. Scorched earth. Um, right. And but I can't do that. And so then I. But then there's humor in that because then you sit there and you're like, oh fuck, I'm a. Wow. <laughs> Well, I act like a fucking child. Well, it's like we, we, it's, I, I think it's funny also because we started Dopey exactly the same way, where it's like right. all these things happen and it's so funny that this ridiculous shit happened and now we're meant to live these spiritual lives when we weren't <laughs> spiritual <laughs> last month or whatever. And now we're meant to live this life. And it's the irony and the comedy of that, which is why I think your page always speaks to me so much because it's that conundrum of how you're supposed to be putting on this adult and also spiritually fit life. Right. When yeah, yeah. Well, there's that pressure too. Absolutely. Cause you come from this ridiculous, I mean, the only reason we're doing this is because you were a fucked up alcoholic and I was a fucked up drug addict. And now we're doing right. these things <laughs> that are like to, to kind of make a sober life more palatable and fun and funny. You know, right. Like, like I never and, did dopey to help anybody. I did dopey cause I wanted to have fun and I wanted to be, make a good show. Um, and I, I kind of get the same feeling from your page. Like you want to make people laugh. Well, yeah, that's the primary thing. So if some, like people have said that, that, that it really helps them and I'm really glad that it does. And of course, like it kind of has to, I guess, because we're talking about recovery, but, um, I mean, primarily it's about entertainment. You know, I want to entertain someone who's in recovery. We have, a, we have a unique worldview. We almost died. Like we have, and I think that's a, that's a really special thing. And I think we can, if we, if we allow it, we can look at the world in a totally different light. 
I mean, with gratitude, of course, but also like, oh my God, I have to like have a mortgage now? What? <laughs> right, right, right. Like, like exactly. The things that we deal with, you never would have imagined. I never would have imagined dealing with the stuff that I deal with on a daily basis. Um, when did you get sober? Uh, 2015, the end of 2015. Me October too. 27th. I got sober yeah? August 13th in 2015. Oh, you're better than me. Yeah, a little bit. I'm, I'm a couple me. months better than you. Yeah. It's, yeah. Great. That, that's awesome. But then, Wait, but but, but then when I, when I, then if I go out, right, you're going to be like, I never should have said that about Dave. Like, I remember like Chris had two I'll years. I'm like, serves him right. I'm better than him. <laughs> no, I'm no, better I'm than him. No, when, when my friend Chris, who I started Dopey with, he had, he, he had two years when we started and I had four months and I always was like, or I, I would be like, I'll never catch this guy or whatever. And then if you do, it's because they went out and it sucks. So the fact that we have these thoughts, it's like, exactly. It's classic, stupid comedy. Because I am a few months right. better than you, Max. And I'm sorry. I just have to, I just have to say it. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I'll never catch up unless something tragic happens. Well, we, um, don't, we don't want that. But I'm excited. But wait, so I'm excited to get seven years. I'm very excited. Oh, yeah, that is coming. Wait, wait, when is it? August 13th. It's in a minute. Yeah, that's in 11 days. I know. Oh, but wait, you're going to wait. When does this get published? This might. You yeah, might, I'm probably I probably already have seven years when this when this comes out. Oh, wow. Wow. So you can congratulate me right now. if you want. Congratulations on seven years. That has maybe magically already happened. Thanks, Max. Um, <laughs> so like when you when you it was when it was September of 2015, what was your life like? Oh God, it was misery. I had a, uh, in June, I went, my friend came to visit me and we went, we went up to Amsterdam and I had like a little, a little type of overdose in the hotel room there. And, um, like, <clears throat> but it wasn't, it was on, um, it was on MDMA and cocaine. And so I just sort Max, of like, wait, hold up for, for years we've spoken on and off. Right. Yeah. And for years you've said, Oh, my story is so boring. I've never done any drugs ever. And now you have a MDMA Coke overdose in Amsterdam. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, <laughs> because I'm primary because I, it's so depressing. That was like the the last like objectively exciting thing to happen. And that, but that was the beginning of the summer of hell. My summer of 2015 was hell. Like I didn't go to the hospital. I just, I just figured like, okay, those drugs don't work. We're going to switch to these other drugs. <laughs> And then, um, and then we just didn't sleep for two days, basically. And then, uh, but then the, that, that summer, like my wife was, a, so I was married. I didn't, we didn't have a kid then. And, uh, that summer, like surprise, surprise, I wasn't working much. I had I maybe worked once a day, once a week. And the rest of the time I was just drinking all day. And then, it, and, I, and I was like, it was just, it, it's just, I don't know. Like you have all these people with these exciting stories, but like, especially that last summer of 2015, it was just suicide drinking, depressing, alone, nothing exciting. I just want to die and I'm going to drink myself to death. It was leaving so, Las Vegas-esque drinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, my wife would would come home. She'd be traveling and then she'd come home and she'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was just like, I, I didn't have answers. I'd be like, I, I don't know. And then, but, then in, but then in October, she finally was like, that's it. I'm done with you. I, I want to have a life. You're, you're destroying my life and I don't want anything to do with you. And I was like, instead of saying, okay, that's fine, which I probably would have said if, if something magical, I don't know what happened, but I, instead of saying, okay, that's fine. I said, okay, I need to do something about this. I need help. And that's, and then the magic happened. 
<laughs> well, I, 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 have, no, but, um, I have lots of questions because yeah. I didn't, when, when we spoke a million times, you always said there were never any drugs, but you had this overdose. So there obviously were drugs when, no, when... I love drugs. Okay. But I see, I was, I was never a heroin addict and I feel like, um, I don't know. I'm not. You're, you know, you're, you're everybody who's everybody's a heroin addict, right? That's what you're Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like this common bond among all. No, but that's not true. I, I mean, it is true that yeah. there's a bond amongst heroin addicts, but I, I, you know, I shouldn't say this out loud, but I go to AA and uh, <laughs> there's a couple of heroin addicts in the meeting I go to, but I'm just as close with, with garden variety drunks as I am with crazy right. heroin addicts because it's about the solution and about, about the, the fun now, it's not about yeah. all that shit, but when did, when was the first time you was, did you drink first or did you do drugs first? Uh, I probably smoked weed. I got high off weed first for sure, because that was much more available than alcohol. Um, How old? it was more appealing. I 15, 14, maybe I was pretty, I wasn't that old. I wasn't that young actually. And it I was, it was in DC. Yeah, the suburb was DC in Virginia, Alexandria. And what, um, what was your childhood like? What was what was the the scene like when you were a kid? All I can think of is like that's the punk rock scene in DC for some reason. Oh yeah, that but that came later. I mean, Fugazi and Minor Threat like overshadow all like youth culture of DC. I kind of I kind of have a resentment against them. I should put them on my next four step actually. <laughs> Ian Mackay specifically. You okay. Suck Ian Mackay. Why? <laughs> Uh, well, cause they're so dour and like politically, I was never politically inclined and like, especially with music. I don't, I don't like political music. I like music that sounds good and that I can rock out to. Oh God, that sounds so lame. <laughs> you can edit, you're not going to edit that. I'm definitely, edit I'm that definitely not going to edit that out. Um, <laughs> but so you're, you're 15 and you start smoking weed. Did you yeah, love so my it? Friends, yeah. They were all potheads, like kind of hippie types. Uh, no, I hated weed. I always hated weed, but I kept smoking it because whatever it was it was exciting i liked everything about the and i liked the idea of drugs but <laughs> but uh but then acid and shrooms came along and they were great i love them yeah your, then, your uh, work your your meme work has a certain psychedelic flair to it so i kind of figured that yeah and i, I most of the, like whenever i whenever i have controversy on my page it's because i say something about psychedelics or weed now which is ridiculous i don't want, i don't care about weed I don't, it's ridiculous but um, I'll say something about psychedelics and people are so sensitive about it, I guess, because people take it and they'd say it's part of the recovery journey. I don't care, but, um, <laughs> you, you say but that, honestly, but you like, say that very passionately that you don't care if psych- no, well, cause, cause, because I, like, I don't care about like other people's recovery. It doesn't bother me, but for my own self, I, I do care because that's the psychedelics are the last thing that I'm like, you know what? Like maybe, you know, in a couple of years, if I'm in the right place, maybe I'll try some <laughs> I know I shouldn't say that, but that's still the one thing I'm holding out for. I'm all not of us. I'm not taking- I, think, I think all of us, I mean, everybody that I've had on the show lately basically says some kind of version of that, including me. And I never, yeah. I never thought like, it's weird. It's a weird loophole because I, I remember when I got sober, I would always just say like, psychedelics are too much work you're never going to see me. I don't have to worry about that. You know, it's not going to be a thing, Yeah. but it becomes like this kind of like weird idea of a spiritual vacation. Like all of a sudden it's a spiritual right, retreat. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and like ayahuasca and all that, like, I know just the idea of, of talking to God, that's, that's appealing to me. Um, and I, and I, but I, and I just never, I never really bottomed out on psychedelics. 
I bottomed out. Like weed, I have no desire for. Uh, all the white powders of any form, I've done enough of them where I'm like, you know what? I don't have to. I know what they, where they take me. They take me to psychosis. And then alcohol, that's what I, that was my own, that was my real love. And I, I know that that's off the table, of course. I'm an alcoholic. But um, When's the first time you did, uh, do you have any good tripping stories? Uh, oh, God. I tripped in New Orleans. Uh, I think it was Mardi Gras. It must have been Mardi Gras. I tripped. I got naked. I, I did stupid shit. I was, I was 19. Okay. Um, I was drunk. Adam. Imagine like I was already completely drunk and then decided to take acid. So nice. that's really not good. <laughs> it's not a spiritual and experience. <laughs> no, it's like really a psychotic experience. And I don't even remember half of it. See, that's the thing about being a drunk too. Like I don't remember all the crazy stuff that happened. I just don't remember it. Like I, I have entire years where I'm like, yeah, I don't really know what happened in 2007. I really don't know. I have the same experience because of benzos. I took so many oh, yeah. benzos for so many years that like, like my fantasy of writing a book just seems on hold because I cannot recall details that like I want to, but maybe it's because I also, cause I had so many seizures from the benzos that it like, oh, it, it put like holes in my brain, which is very sad to think about. So you, you tripped, you got naked in new Orleans during Mardi Gras. When right. did like, and when's the first time you did Coke? Uh, maybe 17, 18. I took Adderall. I was given Adderall and Dexedrine as the prescription. So you had, I was did you were diagnosed with ADHD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From a very young age. Like it was, and I still, that's, that's one of the things, that's the thing I have to deal with in sobriety because I mean, I, like I, look, I said that I'm holding out for acid. I'm not going to take psychedelics anytime soon. And I take being sober really seriously. Like I don't, I would never go anywhere near Adderall or Dextrine or anything like that. And I'm only speaking from my own personal experience because I know what addiction to them is like to me. So I'm like a true, you know, I'm a true addict in that sense. And I know that, I, that the only solution is pure sobriety, like true, whatever, abstinent. But, um, but, set, but yeah, that said, yeah, ADHD is, I mean, having to deal with it. I like, I use the program for that. I have to, I have to meditate. I have to be silent. I have to, you know, be quiet and I have to, I have to fucking eat properly, you know? It's like everything that I don't like. I'm forced to be an adult because every other option is is just not. It's just too painful. When did they put you on Adderall and Benzedrine? Uh, fifteen, I think, fourteen, something like that. So, what were you like before that? Uh, I wasn't too uh, hyperactive, but I was. I I always had ADD. Like I um, I just wouldn't focus. They tested me early for stuff, and they said okay, he should be getting a lot better grades than he actually gets. And I started having real trouble. I went to a private school for high school. And um, by June, sophomore year, they were like, look, either you go on, uh, it was Dexedrine, I think, at the time. Either you go on Dexedrine or we kick you out of school. So I went on Dexedrine and I started getting really good grades. It worked, like, like magically. But, but so, so back to like my alcohol. You know, we can't tell stories without getting into our alcoholic story. I can't, I can't not do it. Well, I don't care. This is great. I'm happy to hear all this okay. stuff. Uh, so, so, all right. So, so the first real drugs that I was addicted to and that I was put on were, were Dexedrine and then Adderall. And so, so then when I, so I didn't start drinking really until I was about 17. And so when alcohol came along, it was like, where have you been all my life? Like I, I was so ready for alcohol. Because, because were you so strung out from the Adderall and the, and the Dexedrine? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize. Imagine being a kid being strung out on this stuff and not even realizing you're addicted and strung out. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, and then alcohol comes along. I mean, they, they, 
diagnosing the depression with everything. But um, and I was put on antidepressants and all that. I went to a mental institution. Um, I've been to a couple of mental institutions, but but I mean, it turns out I was just an alcoholic. What um, was the, what was the first mental institution you went to? Uh, well, so when I was seventeen, the I, I saw this woman get hit by a car on my way to school in the morning, and then um, it kind of it kind of tripped me out a little bit. <laughs> And then I, I think I read this. I had to read The Stranger. This is this is going to sound so silly. Like I, you know, The Stranger by um, Camus. Yeah, Camus. So I read, and then I read that, and then I had some sort of breakdown. And I like my parents, like I, I wasn't responsive. So they took me to the hospital, and I stayed in the hospital for a little while. And then um, wait, what was, was the wait? What was the why did you have the breakdown? Uh, I think I think they called it a psychotic break at the time. I mean, looking back, I was strung out on Adderall. Uh, I was taking antidepressants, which I probably didn't need to take. You're and smoking weed. Witnessed, yeah, smoking weed, of course, smoking cigarettes, uh, drinking on the weekends. Um, but that's, I mean, it was under control, quote unquote. But um, yeah, I mean, I just had a, like, and then I witnessed a traumatic event. And I, um, and I was just fucking, you know, I was just an emotional teenager. I think I was just a little bit, I don't know. Weren't you kind of an emotional kid? Like Very. But I, but, I, yeah. but I wasn't, like, I probably had... ADHD or ADD, if not ADHD. And I, the first time I drank, I, I drank into a blackout, but I also got sick and I barely drank again. And then I fell in love with weed and I probably medicated myself with weed for years and years and years uh, to medicate me being so emotional. You know what I mean? Like right. weed was really good at stabilizing my emotions. And I never, I never had a brush with, uh, with a, a psych ward, but I think it's because I wasn't on drugs like Adderall and Dexedrine. And in my mind, I'm like, if I was on Adderall and Dexedrine, like I would be like one of like a Senator or something like in my <laughs> mind, I feel like if I had been, or I'd be like Howard Stern, if I had been on Adderall when I was a kid, like I would have accomplished everything I'd ever wanted to accomplish. But what really happens is you wind up in the psych ward. Uh, well, yeah, but so that's what I have to deal with because I talk to people in recovery, of course. You know, I work with people who are newly sober. And, like, how do you deal with this? Because I talk to people and they're, they're on Adderall. And I can't say, you know, I only know my experience. And I know my – I can't fuck with that shit anymore. But I don't – you know, if someone's prescribed something like that, I can't tell them not to take it. Um, well, you can tell so them I don't your know, experience. I, I mean, like, to be honest with you, I, I consider getting an Adderall script constantly – because I'm like, I can't do what I want to do. I want to do this, and I'm so ADD, and I, I can't accomplish right. what I want to accomplish. And if only I had Adderall, I could accomplish all these things, but I don't do it because like, my whole life was ruined by drugs, and I don't really want to take a drug and take a chance. Like, I'm not interested in taking a chance, but when, uh, when I deal with people who are taking it, I just say... I, I know that I don't take it, you know, and I'm sure that's what you say too. Yeah. And that's all I can say, but it's really, um, I, I, I'm always confronted with, am I, am I doing this person a disservice by telling them, I, am I co-signing their bullshit basically, you know, because we, if we, if nothing else, we're, we're master deceivers and we deceive ourselves first. And so it is my job to say, Hey, you're taking a fucking psychoactive stimulant. That's going to fuck you up. You can't do that and call yourself sober. Or do I say, well, I can't take that, and maybe you should think about it too. I don't know where the line is. Well, I have a friend who who's in recovery, and uh, 
he was just having this ridiculous affair, you know, cheating on his wife. And it's right. like, how are you? I mean, I know it, it, it's, it's not sober. You know what I mean? It is right, not, exactly. it's not a sober thing to, to come, to have this love affair, come home, lie to your wife, lie to your family and, and then go to the meeting and say, uh, and, and share about God's will and doing the next right thing. <laughs> like that's not sober. And, and I asked him about it and he's, and, and it, he's like, it's not perfections and perfectionist anonymous is what his response was. Um, right. Uh, but let me ask you this. You get out of the fucking psych ward. Are you like, I'm damaged. I'm fucking crazy. Like how much did it affect you? Uh, I mean, I just knew I was fucked up. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. I was, I was probably just a regular old teenage kid who was kind of a, a little bit more too emotional. Also, you know, a budding alcoholic. I think along with that comes a, a little bit more self-centeredness than the average person. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, looking back, I was just a fucked up kid that was on too many drugs. But at the time, I was like, wow, <laughs> I just went through some shit. Um, but, you know, I had to, you know, I... Pretended like nothing was wrong. Mom and dad, I'm okay. It's okay. I just want to go to college. Let's go to college. So, like, in your head, you weren't like, fuck, I might be totally crazy. Like, it didn't define the way you saw yourself. I, like, I wanted help in the sense that I need people to help me to accomplish what I want to accomplish. Not like I had things to accomplish, but I wanted help <laughs> in that sense. Not in the sense that, man, I'm kind of fucked up. I need to change, make some changes in my life like fucked up so what happens when you get out of the psych ward like what's your life like oh well the i mean the first time that was i just went back to school and i continued high school um but I, but uh god i don't know i went to i didn't go to college immediately after high school and for a college prep school that was very bizarre what did you do instead um i just hung out for a year doing graffiti <laughs> do you do good graffiti I mean, I got into art. The first, the first college I got into was the Corcoran in D.C., and I got in based on my graffiti. That's awesome. So I think I was decent. Can you do a yeah, piece? But, can you do a dopey graffiti piece? I could. I mean, the paint with the paint today is so easy. I had to use Krylon back in the day. It was so watery. You have to go so fast. Now I look at these things on Instagram, and people are moving like. Anyway, I I sound like a fucking old dude. Well, <laughs> how, days, how, old how, how old are you? Old. I won't. I can't tell you that. I'm your age, probably. I, I, probably it, it feels. Age. It feels like you're around my age. Um, <laughs> what was I gonna say? So you're fucking out of the psych ward, out of high school. Are you drinking alcoholically yet? No. What? But I started drinking to medicate, like self-medicate. So I, I always had trouble sleeping because I'm surprise, surprise, I'm on stimulants all day. Right. So I started drinking just to just to control, just to put myself to sleep. I would take. God, it was ridiculous. I would take sleeping pills, like Tylenol PM, and then I would drink. But then I would go out and party, and then I was taking drugs, like, in a party sense with other people and things. And you would be taking, you, you're, you're taking Adderall or Benzedrine, which are speed. You're drinking, yeah. which is a depressant. And then when yeah. you're partying, you're taking Coke and maybe sometimes psychedelics. Yeah, yeah, and MDMA, ecstasy. Yeah, when yeah. did you get into ecstasy? See, Max, by oh, God, the way, by the way, what? Like you told me for years that you had no drug stories. There was nothing like that this is like yeah, such a like... robust <laughs> conversation about drug use. It's like what the fuck? Yeah, but because 
you have people who are like, okay, and then I, and then the cops were hunting me, and then I hid out in New Mexico for a while, oh, and then stop. I, you know, no, you, see, jumped on is, a spaceship and went to You've, you've definitely, I've missed out on interviewing you, but you're also usually in Europe, so the fact that you're in the States, we have this beautiful phone connection right now, and, and I'm telling you, for everything you ever told me, I'm telling you, you, you have the stuff. This is the stuff. Thank you. I'm honored. Thank you. All right. Well, let's, let's keep going. So what? You're, so okay. when is the first time you took uh, ecstasy? Uh, 17, 18. Do you God, remember the so first fun. time? Oh, God, yeah. I went to, a, like, raves were, were still a thing, and I went to a rave, and it was just like, it was the most fun I've ever had. I had ever had. So how did, you go, about, how did you go about getting the ecstasy? Uh, friends. Always friends. I remember the first time I took ecstasy, okay? I was in uh -huh. college. Uh, I was, uh, I think I was a junior in college, and we had just transferred to this art school from this very rah-rah kind of school, me and my roommate, because we had gotten busted with weed. And uh, there was a drug dealer that lived on our floor who had, like, pounds of crazy bud, and then he was said he was going to get ecstasy and have this party. And I had never done ecstasy. I had done a lot of acid. And uh, I remember I took the ecstasy and he like set up his room, his dorm room, like it was a rave. <laughs> like like there's like lights flashing and like somehow there were like couches <laughs> and all the girls got dressed up, right? Uh, right. And, and I'm sitting on the couch in his, his dorm room tripping and I'm sitting next to this beautiful girl and she goes, do you want to touch my pants? <laughs> And I was like, yes. Your pants. I was like, Her pants. yes. I was like, yes, please. <laughs> and uh, they were like velvet. I was like, your pants are so soft. It's so velvety, <laughs> you know? And, and like, it was like the greatest night of my life, you know? And uh, I, I just, oh my God. The first, so the first night you did ecstasy was some rave in DC. Yeah. Buzz. If anyone remembers. Buzz. Yeah. Buzz in DC. All yeah. right. Paint me a, paint me a paint, a picture. Oh God! I think uh, it changed locations, but there was this place called Capital Ballroom back in the day that it Buzz the location for Buzz turned into. It's just, um, I mean, they were semi-illegal raves. They weren't fully illegal though. It wasn't like in a in an abandoned warehouse. But um, yeah, I went and my friend Scott, his older sister, who was like in her twenties, so she was like super cool and old. Yeah, she, I think she had it. And then I hung out with her all night talking about like God and space and the universe and stuff. She didn't let me touch her velvet pants, though. I didn't do anything wild. I just sat there and like Tripped felt out. like I was in touch with the universe. Yeah. And you were. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's like every, <laughs> out of my mind. How about well, you were out of your mind and in touch with the universe. How about everybody who's like now taking MDMA for depression? Like, that's a big oh, thing. God. Are people like, I know you, what were you going to say? Oh, just you see ads for it online and stuff. My whole feed is like ketamine can make you less depressed. Ecstasy can make you less depressed. Put mushrooms in your coffee and you'll be less depressed. That's my whole fucking right. feed on everything because I have this drug podcast. That's like, oh, yeah, well, I don't think it's just because of the drug podcast. I mean, I'm a recover. You know, it's funny because we're in recovery and we get bombarded with that stuff online all the time. But then I, and I know in my case, I'm sure for you, sometimes I'll post something that's about recovery and it gets deleted for whatever violating some drug rule and i'm like how ironic but there's Instagram. never you ne ironic. do you ever see something in your feed maybe you should go to a meeting like that's never it's, <laughs> right. it's you should take ketamine or you should take ecstasy or you should take mushrooms it's it's 
it's interesting because it's this newfangled approach um, right. that, that was not the fangled approach back then. Uh, so you fell in well, love. Well, also because... Go, yeah, please. Go no, Max, please. I'm sorry. Well, I want to get philosophical about recovery, Good. Though. I appreciate that. Well, because... Okay, so because of the, about that, you can't sell nothing. And right. nothing really is recovery. Like, recovery is God. <laughs> Or whatever, like if you know, recovery is finding something bigger than your than yourself that you that you believe it, you know. And for me, that's something I call God. But you know, recovery is about community and all that, and I, that, it's really hard to sell that. So I'm you not, can't you know, sell. I mean, how do you sell a spiritual experience? Right, but you can you can sell MDMA for sure, and you can sell ketamine, and you can sell all those other treatments. The second anyway, you're selling a spiritual experience, it's a profane experience, right? I I would think so, yes. But but I would believe that those would be beneficial for someone who had never because the only reason I'm here is because I've done everything I did before. So MDMA might be beneficial for everyone. Why not? Like why not why not experience that for someone who's never experienced it? Because totally. I did and it, it took me to where I am here now. I totally but anyway. I, I know, but and it's like a lot of I mean I share about this all the time at meetings that like I wanted God when I was taking MDMA and taking acid and I wanted this spiritual experience like to happen psychedelically. And I think my conception of higher power is very informed by my experiences back then, you know, right. like, uh, like those conversations about space and the universe like that. I mean, I mean, maybe that means I'm not that spiritual <laughs> now, but like, <laughs> I do feel like I, I, I remember like I took, I mean, like we were, we were selling acid and I took acid and we, it was, it was like a summer day and you know, whatever the, the mid nineties and we were driving, uh, to, uh, we went to school and college and, and we took a bunch of acid and I fell out of the car. Like we went to a gas station and I, the acid really hit me hard and I fall out of the, the car and my hand touches the ground and the whole ground is Paisley's and I, and you get this <laughs> idea that everything is one. Uh, which is a great spiritual concept. Oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially psychedelics. Good God. Because you, it does open your mind to certain things. But it, but perhaps it is profane. And, I, and I've, you know, I, I have had, you know, I guess authentic spiritual experiences in recovery. Me that too. have come pretty close to that. And actually, no, I won't. Yeah, I've had some, some very weird psychedelic experiences in recovery, but after no drugs, no nothing. Um, but anyway, go on. I want to hear about the grounds and Paisley. No, that was it. I just, want. I was just wanted to talk about like how, how interesting it is that like you are obviously very affected by psychedelics and you're, and you're, do you think that your spirituality is informed at all by your experience with psychedelics when you were a kid? Uh, yeah, well in the sense that yes, because that I had to have that experience to open my mind to things, but uh, the quality of what I would consider a spiritual experience today, uh, it isn't, it is, it's nothing the same as what those were like. God, does that make any sense? I don't even know if I'm making sense. It, it makes sense. And, and, uh, because you're an adult and you're not on drugs, right? right. <laughs> I mean, I think that that helps change the scope of, of the spiritual experience. And as a kid, as a kid, I wanted to get fucked up. But I also loved all that universality shit, like, and, and that all of the, you know, the kind of pseudo spiritual thing that involved getting fucked up. You know what I mean? And one never, right. n one doesn't end and the other doesn't begin. Whereas now, there is no getting fucked up in the spiritual experience. Right. 
I mean, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I want to get back to no, your, no, no, I want, I, I want to get back to your, your youth on drugs. Um, so <laughs> how often are you doing ecstasy after the buzz? Oh God. Not, I mean, not too often, maybe a couple of times every, uh, every few months, something like that. I mean, but, uh, but I was, yeah, like my alcoholic, like my real, I was addicted, of course, from the get-go, but it was all under control, or I, I felt like it was under control until, you know, until it got bad enough that I was like, oh, fuck, I'm killing this. But yeah, but the, yeah, but specifically MDMA and ecstasy and all that, whatever, there's a distinction. Only a few times, every couple of months. And that was always in the background. And when did, uh, when did the alcoholism, like, start to really, you know, affect you, like, where it's, like, destroying your life? Where, where you need to get sober? Uh, well, it, I think it, ha it started from the beginning, but I just never, it can't, you know, it, can't, it was like not constant. So I went off to the Corcoran, I went in, and I was there for half of a semester and I dropped out. But that was, I mean, it was because, you know, I was depressed and lonely, not because I was drinking, what, 18 beers a day and smoking as much weed, which I hated <laughs> as possible. <laughs> but, um, so, I mean, when I was 19, I was 19 and I could have like, I, I, I ruined my life at 19 with drugs and alcohol, but, um, but, but, you know, it, I, I wasn't willing to admit that it was that. So I was like, okay, no, 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 I can change my life. I'm going to leave this school. I'm going to go, go back to live with my parents. I'm going to go to community college, which I did. I'm going to like go to bed at a reasonable hour and, uh, I'll continue taking Adderall because I have to have it. I need it because that's my prescription. Um, and then I just sort of managed. But then I managed for only a couple more years before I dropped out of my next university. <laughs> I dropped I dropped out of three colleges total. And it was all the same story. Yeah, I mean, I ended up just drinking drinking my way out. Yeah. And, and did you? And when you when you did you finish school? Yeah, I ended up uh, still drinking, but somehow uh, getting my bachelor's degree and then getting a master's degree. So when did so when master's. did all this stuff like? Because, I mean, right before you got sober, apparently, you overdosed on cocaine and MDMA. So it seems that cocaine, MDMA, acid, and probably weed were always kind of like circling around. And, and the alcohol was the constant as you, as you became an adult? Uh, well, no, because I think, uh, well, so this is how I kind of probably rationalized it to myself. I cut out weed. I cut out uh, illegal drugs. Um, and I thought, okay, I can manage with, uh, you know, when was that? When adult. was that? When did you cut out illegal drugs? Uh, probably like around 20, like after I dropped out of the Corcoran, I just drank and took Adderall. And so when I dropped out of the next two universities, I, it was cause I drank out of them, not because I took, I wasn't really taking illegal drugs, but I was always taking Adderall. So, um, and it like, <laughs> I'm not saying anyone, no one should take Adderall, but for me, because I'm an addict and an alcoholic, I can't, you know, it, it, I was taking it addictively. Yeah. And it I, was fucking me up. I also want to hear about how you cope with ADHD now. But, like, we're talking about a big chunk of time between 20 and seven years ago. So, <laughs> so like... That's right. So, X number of years. So, what, that, that, what, what was that, what was that chunk, and, and when does the alcoholism go from you know whatever to leaving las vegas level i mean that we'll see that's how alcoholism works i mean it was it came and went and like it you know i i could trick myself into thinking it was under control and alcohol is 
like that's why it was um i don't know it's that's why it's unique you know everyone drinks all my everyone in my family drinks some of my family members are alcoholics some of them are sober um but my parent neither of my parents have problems with alcohol uh, but they drink. And so like you, I could convince myself, okay, maybe I drink, so maybe I drink too much every now and then, but it's not so bad. And, uh, and I was okay with, you know, I was okay with whatever the consequences were if, if I could, if I could hold on to that illusion, but I, but I could, but I dropped out of universities, you know, my relationship was shitty, but, but so yeah, those X number of years, it was just, you know, I just wasn't living up to my potential basically, whatever that potential was. And would the alcohol but, I mean, ebb and flow in that period? Yeah. And so, like, I mean, during that time, I moved to Europe. Uh, you know, we call it a geographical in the program. Um, uh, I, you know, partially to, to be with my then girlfriend who became my wife, but partially to run away from my problems. And then I moved around a lot. Like, and then we moved from, we, I, we lived in Poland first, and then, and then we moved to Belgium. And then, you know, it, it, it just catches up with you. And then it caught, it caught up with me seven years ago. And that was when... But, um, I mean, it was just because, I don't know, like little, just little, little failures, little things happen and, you know, it, it, I couldn't lie anymore. Right. And, and, and when, uh, when, when did, uh, recreational illegal drugs come back in? Ah, so, okay. So they, I kind of thank them. I thank them for it, of course, because, um, like a year before I got sober, a buddy of mine was like, let's take some of this cocaine they had cocaine i was like yeah sure okay why not and it had been it had been a lot of years since i had done that and so for a few months i was yeah i was just taking drugs and drinking a lot and then i i I, god i was working seriously so little i was self-employed at the time and i was working what were you doing for work self-employed uh project management so i was setting up like communications campaigns doing website stuff doing um, conferences for, for small organizations in the EU, around the EU. I won't tell you which one. Right, and it afforded you it afforded you time to be drunk, to do coke, uh, and you're in and out of like, was Am- did Amsterdam play a big role in the drugs returning? Uh, I mean, that was like, in the, only in the sense that that was my big blowout. I didn't know it was going to be the ending blowout, but um, when my friend came, Another buddy came. I was like, "Well, let's go to Amsterdam and let's do whatever the hell we want." And he we was did from that. he was from DC too. No, he's from. He grew up in the South, but um, I knew him from North Carolina from the school I went to in North Carolina that I dropped out of. And where did just Wilmington? Out, just out of curiosity, what? when you're in Amsterdam, like I haven't gotten drugs in a million years, and I probably won't be getting them anytime soon. But like, if you're you're not doing drugs all the time, I get, is ecstasy just available wherever in Amsterdam? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can go into a, a, a cafe or whatever. What are they called? Yeah. Cafe. Yeah. Coffee and, shop, whatever. Uh, yeah. Coffee shop. That's right. Um, and wherever you can buy weed, you can just be like, Hey man, I kind of want something else. And they'll be like, Oh, well, you know, uh, and then they'll, you'll figure out. And then they'll give way. you MDMA. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, then, <laughs> and then they're like, here's everything. Here's some Coke. Here's but, some um, MDMA. Right. When did you stop and taking so, Adderall? Uh, somewhere. I don't know, sometime like a couple years before I stopped drinking. Like I knew, so I always thought Adderall was, was the, the big problem. I thought that I drank because of Adderall because I took too much Adderall and Adderall kind of strung me out. Right. But I needed Adderall because I had ADHD. So it was this weird loop of like, <laughs> I drink too much because I take Adderall, but I take Adderall because I need it because I have ADHD. Um, and then, um, yeah, but then I stopped taking Adderall and surprise, surprise, I kept drinking because I'm a drunk. 
But I, this is, come on, this is boring. Let's talk about something fun. I want to hear stories from you. I want no, to hear about... I, I, every story I told, I've told 10 times on the show. I was, just okay. I was just trying to get you to feel comfortable to tell some stories. But I also think, <laughs> I also think that we have a lot in common. And I think, I don't think any of it is boring. And, and if I right. did, I, I would, you know, I would never uh, keep asking you questions if I thought it was boring. I would, I would change the subject. Um, right. when, when you hit the leaving Las Vegas level, like how right. brutal is it? And are you just fucking so scared? Because you obviously loved uh, your girlfriend. Like it seemed like yeah, well, that she... relationship was a huge piece of you actually finding recovery and even before that you're so into recovery now had you ever seen recovery before then oh yeah um yeah my one of my best friends when we were 16 he got sober and like he he's been sober since then so x number of years he's been, he's been sober a very long time but i knew i mean i knew about uh the program and all the other things uh for a long time so, the, so it wasn't like I was ignorant of it all. I just didn't, I just didn't want to, I couldn't, I couldn't conceive. It's not like I couldn't conceive of not drinking. I just, that was not a world I, I wanted to live in. I didn't want to live sober. Sober would be the, the biggest nightmare. Not because, but, I, but I, I didn't think of it like I need alcohol so badly. It was, I love alcohol so much and it's such an integral part of my life. I can't cut that out. And everyone drinks and it's a great, hey, come on, we all have fun. We all like to go out drinking. It's part of life. And so I couldn't, that was the thought process. But then, but, but that thought process took me to leaving Las Vegas level. And what, and what, think, what was that level? Like paint, like, what did it look like? Like, what were you drinking and what kind of quantities? All right. So, so wife is out of town basically all that summer. And, um, I, I would drink up to two liters of vodka or whiskey a day. So like maybe a handle, not a handle, two thirds of a handle. Okay. Um, and but yeah, I would wake up whenever I would wake up. I had a, I had a dog. I would let the, the, like all of the crazy shit, like paranoia and all that shit. It, it, I all I had it all, and um like I was too scared to go outside because people like all the shadow people that people talk about with meth. I had that with alcohol. I had I, the paranoia was, I mean it was it was pure alcoholic paranoia. It's horrible. It's hell. But uh yeah, so I would wake up whenever I would wake up. I would drink whatever was left of the, I would drink either whiskey or vodka. And then, uh, and then I would, that would make me sick. And so, but that was okay because I would, it, I was, I would vomit and then I would end up dry heaving. But I knew that after that I could keep down whatever I drank. And so I would, uh, hopefully have more alcohol or I would have to go to the store and buy some. And that would be, that would be the most terrifying moment. Cause I didn't want to, I couldn't be seen by people. You like, I was truly paranoid. Um, so I, like we had a dog, I let the dog shit and piss in the house because I couldn't take her out. It was, it was right. but, um, but yeah, so I'd go to the store, buy whatever I would go to different stores. Like it mattered. Like I didn't want them to know that I was an alcoholic. Right. You didn't want them I mean, to be like, why are you, well, yeah, why are you back here? But it's so funny when, when everybody's worried about like what the clerk at the liquor store thought yeah. of them. It's like, I never worried about yeah, what don't... my heroin dealer thought of me. <laughs> that was never a thing. <laughs> Yeah, they don't care. They're selling it to you. You're right. giving them business. Right. But yeah, so then, but then I would just drink all day and I would just, just like do nothing but drink. It was horrible, horrible, horrible. When and, was, uh, when was the I overdose? I hope I never forget about it. When was the overdose in there? That was in June. So from June, so I went home from Amsterdam. My friend went away. He, uh, he missed his first flight because he was just too drunk. But then he left. Uh, and then 
from June to October, I was just downhill drinking. When you overdose, though, what does that look like? What does a Coke and, and MDMA overdose look like? Uh, well, all I remember is I went to the, I was like, I started sweating profusely and I was like, I don't feel so good. And I went to the bathroom and I, I took like a freezing cold shower. And then the next thing I know I'm, I'm waking up on the floor of the bathroom and there, my, my two friends are in the hotel room, but they don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how long I've been in there, but they were busy. And then I just wake up on the ground on the floor and I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? And then, uh, I, like I, I was still sweating. I jumped back in the shower. And then I was like, I don't know what the fuck just happened. So I don't know. I don't know if it was a seizure or if an over, whatever right. it was, but um, that happened. Um, and then post that, do you think <laughs> how how connected do you think that was to this oblivion seeking period? Well, that, I mean, that was oblivion. I you know, um, I probably like I have epilepsy now. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, and did you get probably, you got epilepsy after that? Well, yeah, I mean, I never had epilepsy before and it, it doesn't run in my family. And recently, like, I think six months ago, uh, I, I had I had my final epileptic seizure where they said that it was absolutely a seizure and I definitely have epilepsy. But so, yeah, so I since that moment, I every year or so or every six months, I would sort of it felt like I was passing out and I thought I was passing out. My wife saw it a couple of times and was like, oh, you just passed out. That's weird. And that scares me. But uh I thought it was just um, passing out until just recently, six months ago, I got diagnosed with epilepsy. Oh my so God. that was probably, I mean, that was probably what contributed to it. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure, so I'm sure all don't, that, yeah, <laughs> don't, don't overdose on ecstasy and cocaine when you're in Don't fry your brain because it, it does have repercussions. Okay. And you had never found recovery. Like it would, ne- I mean, like it was interesting because you're, I mean, I, no, I'd never entertained stopping drinking. I never entertained it. I was like, nope, that's never going to be an option. Cut, cutting down on drinking, maybe. And I, I made that promise to my wife a lot, but never stopping. That was never an option. So describe until that, until October. When Max B becomes fucking sober. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I said it before. Before, but my wife, she was just like, I'm done with you. I don't, I don't want you in my life. You're ruining my life. Uh, I don't care if you ruin yours. It's already done. And I was like, okay, maybe I should do something about that. And so I, yeah, I reached out for help. And, um, and that was it basically. Who did you I, that reach was out the third to? People in the program, you know. You just friends. knew it was there. Yeah, I knew, like in the back of my mind, I knew that if I needed help, that that was the solution. And I never wanted that help, of course, because it meant abstinence, and that was a fucking nightmare. But um, but when when I knew it, when I knew I needed help, that's what I did. And so, but that was the third of October, and then I I drank, I think the twenty fourth or twenty fifth. I had like a three day bender, and then and then twenty seventh is when I finally stopped. That's awesome. And it was in was the meeting in Belgium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, we um, yeah, in English. There's a there's a clubhouse. There are meetings at least in the before times before COVID. There were meetings at least uh, twice a day, and it saved my life. People saved my life. Like they, yeah, it's, it's what everyone says in the program. How quickly was it appealing to you? Oh, God, it was not appealing at all. I hated it. <laughs> I, I, I say that now. Like, I love God. I love, you know, whatever anyone says, that's cool with me. You know, I don't have to agree with you. Uh, I have my own whatever conception of a higher power. But, um, but at the time, I was like, fuck this. I don't want this at all. But I knew, but I knew I, I needed it. Like it was this, it was this, wow, this is the least appealing thing to me you could possibly create. 
but I know I need this. I'm going to just fucking sit it out. And I did. That's what I did. Do you remember like, cause I, I, I can totally relate to everything you're saying. And like, I had been around uh 12 step over and over again, but I never was interested in actually being sober, like never right. close to it. And I, I would go to a meeting and somebody would say, well, if you want to use, you have to call one of us. And I would I'd be like, okay, but I would never, I wanted to use when I was at the meeting, I wasn't going to call anybody ever. I was only going to call the dealer if I wanted to use. But when I, when I finally went to a meeting and it, and it was like, I mean, I had done, I, I had a, a bunch of false starts and different fellowships, but when I finally got sober, I was so destroyed. And it was when I heard how it works. I think I heard how it works like five times. And then the fifth time I was like, wait a second, rarely have we seen someone thoroughly follow the path and achieve these results. And I had never had any results. And I was like, I need to try to thoroughly follow the path. Like, uh, how quick did it come to you? Like that you're like, if I do this, it could work. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I kind of always, like I knew it because I had had my friend who got sober when he was right. 16. Um, and I just, I don't know, you know, you just know it. I just knew it. Like my mother is a priest, um, surprisingly. And, uh, wow. I can't believe we didn't hear that until now. <laughs> my dad's a nuclear physicist too. So there's that. Well, that makes a lot um, of sense actually. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, but so, so I would, I had been around spirituality and I just, I don't know. I just knew in the back of my mind that even though it was unappealing and I hated it and it was, it was going to suck every step of the way that the only solution was the 12 steps. I just knew it. And so, so when I went in, like I, okay, I, I went to meetings for three weeks, I guess, two weeks. And then I had my final uh, bender, but, uh, but I mean, it was already done. I was already done. I just had that final bender because I went out with people who were drinking and I didn't, you know, I didn't have any defense against it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I just sat down. I had, I got a sponsor. He, the, the best thing, but the best thing I did was be honest about all that. I told him all this stuff. I was like, look, I don't believe this. I think this is stupid. If there's a God, I like, I don't, okay. I don't believe in any concept of God. And even if I did, I don't know how something like a God could help me stay sober. Like it just didn't make any sense to me. And I told him all that. Thank God. <laughs> and he was like, I don't fucking care. And that was, that was the bet. That was when I, I realized it was going to work. Cause I was like, okay, it doesn't matter what I think. It really doesn't. I'm, I'm not the most important person in the world. Well, surprise, explain, surprise. explain that to me. So you're telling the guy you don't believe yeah. in this stuff. And he says he doesn't care. What does that do for you? Exactly. It, it takes me, it uh, lets me off the hook actually. Like I thought that my fucking opinion mattered. That like, oh, okay. It, like, first of all, I thought that all these people wanted me to believe something that I, I just didn't have the capability of believing. And then I thought that like, if I told someone this, that I was going to get kicked out of recovery. Right. Like, I, I wouldn't be allowed to be sober, um, which is all just preposterous. But I mean, I've seen it a hundred times now since I've been in recovery. Like people say the same thing. But um, yeah, so he says he doesn't care. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And that's how it worked. I mean, and then we just did the steps. That's how it worked. I mean, we, I did it thinking, okay, this is kind of bullshit, but I'll make some stupid conception of whatever I think a higher power is. Um, what was the conception at first? Just a group of drunks, like people, right. you know, mm -hmm. the, these people are going to help me stay sober because these people are sober. And I actually believe that some of them had been in that darkness that, that I'd been in. Definitely. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that all of us have been in. 
Well, I, I, I think like, uh, what was I going to say? I, 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 you know, like when you, when you say you don't care, it's almost like it doesn't matter. It's like to somebody who does, like my higher power is basically reality, you know, like the universe, like everything, you know, and when it right. says God uh, is everything or God is nothing, I take it as God is literally everything. So it doesn't really matter that God is like a, like a entity or, or, you know, it's not, that's not a thing for me. So if somebody says they don't believe in God, I don't care. You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with me. And in the, right. be, and in the beginning, I, I, I did it with gift of desperation, uh, which is another good acronym, right? Um, because I was so desperate and so fucked and I had a little kid, you know, when, uh, when right. I got sober, I had a four year old kid that I didn't get to be with. And I was so desperate to get my shit together. And my sponsor was like, well, do you have a gift of desperation? Well, that's enough. You know, that's enough. That's enough of a right. higher power to start with. Um, yeah, we didn't have another solution because I didn't have an, I didn't have the money to go to rehab or anything or pay a psychiatrist. What I wanted was a psychiatrist to give me a pill to fix it and to tell all my problems to it. But I didn't I couldn't afford that. Well, you, you had, had but you had had every pill. You had had yeah, all and, that. Of course. And I had also yeah, had that and it hadn't worked. It hadn't fixed me. So like, how? Yeah. oh, I just wanted to say now, like what I'm saying about what I believed at the time, that's not what I believe now. Like, I mean, the, the ironic thing is that my beliefs about whatever God and everything have become a lot more sort of traditional the longer I've stayed sober. Do you think but, that but your, mom, even... your mom being a priest had a big part of that? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I was brought up like I, 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 I strongly believed in whatever God and Christianity until I was about 14, 15, 16. When I surprisingly found drugs and alcohol, right? <laughs> I found another god, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's I don't know, it's magical. It's you said now that I've been, you know, you you've been around a lot of people who've gotten sober now, and it's it's I, for me. Wait, I just lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? I don't know, but I, uh, I oh, so uh, when working with with people who are newly sober now. I actually have, it's, it's a lot easier to deal with someone who doesn't believe anything than it is for me to deal with someone uh, who believes something. Because Why? you can build something with someone who doesn't believe something. But for someone who believes, you have to be like, okay, well, now you have to make that work because it wasn't working for you before, obviously. Right, right. When they don't have anything, it's like, okay, we can put this in place and this you can work with this thing. As opposed to right. you had this thing and you were out of control. Right, exactly. Do you work with a lot of people? Uh, no, I don't know. I tried to. That's good. Um, how long after when we started dopey when I had four months, um, right. how much time did you have when you started the page? Uh, two and a half years, something like that. Okay. And, uh, you like regular memes too? Were you just like a meme person? Oh God. I don't know. I didn't even know what memes were until a few years ago. I like, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I love regular memes. I think they're like, I, I just like funny things. And now that seems to be the dominant. Like, no one watches stand up anymore. No one watches like movies with, no one watches Borat, you know? Right. <laughs> who people, are, people look at memes. Who are your favorites? Of whom? What? Memes? Yeah. Oh, Namaste at Home Dad. I like recovery people. I like brutal recovery. I like As Bill Memes It. But I like, um, yeah, there are a lot of them. What about just do, regular do you memes? 
Yeah, Namaste at Home Dad. She's not. She's kind of regular. She's a. She's. I mean, she. Uh, she. She ran my Instagram for a couple weeks. For a couple months, maybe. Yeah. Uh, she. So I don't know where she is. She's like. She just disappeared. <laughs> she disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's great. Uh, do you remember Heck Off Supreme? Have you ever heard of that? Person? No. No. It was. A, it was a, a page on Instagram. He died, unfortunately, and we talked. Uh, he was trying to get sober um, at the beginning of the pandemic, and we talked a little bit. Was he a was um, he a recovery meme guy, an addiction meme guy, or just a normal meme guy? He made like three memes about recovery, but he was just a normal meme guy. But he was he was the first person that made memes where I realized it's actually like a person, you know? It, I thought that these were just things that got created and then were just put somewhere on the internet, and I saw them and I laughed at them. But then he was the first person where I realized, oh, there's a person doing this. He has ideas, and it's something that's funny or whatever, insightful or whatever it is. Well, I mean, like I, I made a comment about your work and like, uh -huh. and you were an you were an art student, like you're an artist and like your work is memes. It just is. And like, I don't know, you've done so many memes that, uh, I've loved, like literally have loved and I've reposted so many of your memes. You saw somebody just attributed one of your memes to me on Instagram. And mm -hmm. I was like, no, 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 that's not me. Um, that's fucking sober. But, uh, oh, thank you. what was I going to say? The frog meme. Oh, right. Yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I look at a lot of pictures and then, you know, ideas come up and pictures come up and then you just put them together and it happens. I, it's so weird though. I, you know, like my regular life, I'm, I'm a teacher. I don't. What do you teach? Do you, what do you teach? Making memes I, in recovery? Psychi psychedelic no. chemistry? No, I'm doing meme school. I'm going to start a meme school. That's it. That's my new next venture. I'll show you. I'll tell you about it. It'd be a thousand dollars for some, some zoom session. No, uh, no, I teach biology and chemistry and, and, uh, general science. Now I feel like this, this talk has been really good for me. Uh, and you've been in and out. I feel like you're good for like eight minutes and then you have a minute. Like I never should have said that. Then you have a minute, like, why am I doing this? And then we get another, because well, I realize what I'm talking about. I'm like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Do you feel, do you feel comfortable with this talk? I'm fine with it. Whatever, you know, I, I hope someone is entertained. You are a great talker. So you've done most of the steering of the conversation. So I'm happy with that. Well, listen, I, I think, uh, you, I love, I, I mean, we've talked many, many times or few, uh, several times over the years and I've enjoyed talking to you and I enjoy, Good. I enjoy your brain and I enjoy your meme work and I enjoy what you bring to our community. You bring a lot and you're also, it's very positive, your shit and it's very smart and it's very funny and you give yourself too Thank much you. shit. You do a great job and I really appreciate Thank you. you. Yeah, we're not doing negative self-talk. Thank you. I'm the greatest person ever. Thank you, might, you. you might be the greatest person ever. So I'm glad you came on the show. And uh, and please do not uh, feel weird about it. I don't. Thank you. You don't? I'm, yeah, I do. I do get self-reflexive sometimes, but that's just whatever. That's fine. But thank you. Thank you so much. You're not going to be in fucking new in the States in October, are you? No. What's happening in October? DopeyCon. Oh, man. And you know, I might be able we have fall break around then if I come because I might have to come back to take some uh, certification exams for work. Um, October 1st, in New York in 15 years, Cater I'll be in New York, right? New York City catered by Katz's Deli. You have to come what? if you're on, in the States. Wow. Okay. okay. 
right. Very good. Um, I'll cash in on some of this internet fame, which I've never, I've never, no one has ever, ever said anything like, oh my God, you're fucking so Well, that would happen. <laughs> that would happen. <laughs> I want one person. To, no, it happened once in London, but that's it. Once. What, are they, was, what, what did you see? Did you run into uh, Lowe's from Brutal Recovery? No, no, no. A friend of a mutual friend said to this other person said, oh, he does fucking sober, by the way. And she was like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God. Right. You're like, that feels that reminds me of getting high on drugs. Right. Right. Um, I think it's great. I think uh, honestly, like your shit is incredible. So, like, don't ever Thank doubt you. yourself. You too. And um, no, I feel I feel uh I'm super proud of, of, uh, of dopey and it's fun for me. And, uh, I'm, I'm proud of what you do, even though I have no reason to be proud of what you do, but I really, I think you bring way more to this scene than you realize. Okay. All right. That's it. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Okay. Thank you. Wait, 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 what, 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 does that, you. what does that make you think? No, I just only, I don't even know of the scene that exists because I don't, you know, my only interaction with this aside from recovery, in my real life, which doesn't have anything to do with um, fucking sober, I don't, you know, I don't interact with anyone besides through people who message the account, and that's just, I, I consider it all so abstractly, you know, like it's just the internet. But <laughs> don't, but don't okay, thousands of people write you on that account? Not, not, in my, not as many as you'd think. Um, a lot of people do, but it's just like whatever. I mean, a lot of people argue, with me, so I'm just like, okay, I don't. I'm sorry that you don't like what I just said. It's okay. You can just discard it. What about celebrities? Are there celebrities up your butt? You know, like Courtney Love loves uh, Dank. Oh, I don't know. No comment. Maybe. Nice. I'll say maybe. You're much more mature than I am. God bless you, Max B. <laughs> um, all right, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It was an honor. Right, that was Max B from Fucking Sober. Maybe it's your favorite meme page. Maybe it isn't. Erin needs to rush off to get her son from camp, and I totally <laughs> fucked this day up. But before she goes, let's hear the notes. Okay. <laughs> well, the first thing that I laughed at was that he had put Fugazi on his fourth step. Yes. <laughs> because I told you this recently that in bringing some boxes home, I found some of my old fourth steps. Some of my fourth steps that I did, I burned with my sponsor. That was like a thing we used to do, but I have some of them and there are some funny people on those fourth steps. I should bring one on sometime like and like Ian read Zeering it. on your fourth step. No. Any 90210 it's, characters? It's Ian Zeering, not okay. Ian Zeering. And also I just like to say, um, Denise Dows who played beloved Mrs. Teasley, Ms. Teasley, the vice principal of West Beverly, passed away earlier this week. And I met her because she contacted me. I had written something, this article about 90210, like a long time ago. And we struck up like a little friendship on Twitter DMs. And yes. And she's yeah. gone now. She's Ms. gone. R.I.P. Mrs. Teasley. Ms. T. All right. Uh, so I thought that was funny. Um, a couple of other notes I have. Like you were talking about a friend of yours who had uh, done some things in recovery that that like you felt like made it that were not sober things to do. Like so what? You had talked about like a friend of yours who had like was like cheating on their partner or something. Okay. And um, that you were you guys talked about like is that like recovery? Are you in recovery if you're like acting out in those ways? And like my thing is like again like recovery is not 
one thing. It's not perfectionism. Right. And your friend who you talked to about that said, you know, it's like progress, not perfection or whatever. And that's true. Like, no, I think what he said was it's not perfectionist anonymous. Anonymous, right. But I, so I got that other slogan in my head, progress, not perfection. But he's right. I mean, recovery is a process. It's not a linear thing. It's not abstinence. It's recover. It's regaining something you lost, which is a life, right? And making your quality of life better. So yes, I agree with your friend. Um, and then you also talked about microdosing for depression and like how that seems to be everywhere. And it is. We've talked about it a lot. But I think, and I've never done it, but I, from people I know who have done it, many of whom are not, not people who have any, have had any problems with addiction. They're not getting high from microdose. You know, we were talking about it today mm-hmm. on the phone. And then right afterwards, mm-hmm. I had a phone call with a woman who runs a ketamine. She, she runs a psychedelic medicine company in mm-hmm. Colorado and she's thinking about advertising on dopey mm-hmm. and uh, they only do uh, ketamine uh, treatment, but they do it observed and like yes. uh, dispensed, and it was and and then and then they make sure like they listen to techno music together, mm-hmm. and then uh, they have sex on the ketamine. Oh, you're lying! <laughs> you're so full of shit. <laughs> for like for a split second, I'm like, oh, okay, music, and then I'm like, wait. No, no, but it really <laughs> is going to be a sponsor, but they don't have sex with their no. patients or play techno and, music. And, I don't and I'm think. sure she. I'm sure we just lost the sponsor. I'm sure she explained it to you. The people I know, like one of them, when I was an editor for a website, I had a writer who like tried out ketamine therapy and like wrote about it for me. It's it's not like you're not getting high. So I mean, I think that, and I'm not saying that that's a not commenting on whether it's a wrong or right choice for people in recovery. I think that's an individual choice, but I just want to make it clear that like, they're totally like recovery is completely separate from people who are, if you're, if you're microdosing, hoping to get high, then that's something. That's, I know that's your I, own see, issue. I would be depressed <laughs> that I wasn't getting high in the ketamine therapy. <laughs> that's what would get me depressed. <laughs> that the ketamine wasn't getting me high enough. I'm so, you know, it's, I think, uh, I think it's interesting. I mean, it comes up a lot. And you guys also talked about like the issue of Adderall. And obviously Max had found that Adderall was being used like he did other drugs. And I mean, it's not, you know, that like I take Adderall for ADHD, but it has never, ever made me feel. Do you think I'd be a much more successful podcaster if I took Adderall? I don't know. What's your gut? What does your gut tell you? (sighs) Well, the problem is, is Gabor Mate thinks I'd be a much more successful writer with Adderall. I I will say that for Dr. Mate, (laughs) I mean, I, for myself, like Adderall has caused me to like sleep better. I don't have insomnia the way that I used to, because for me, my ADD at the end of the day, I would start to have anxiety because I, I didn't get things accomplished that I wanted to get accomplished. And then that would kick off bigger anxieties. Right. So I'm not having that now. So since I went on Adderall, and I don't take it every day, I take it on days that I'm working, but since I had ad- started Adderall, I don't have that kind of nighttime anxiety. My insomnia for the first time in my more than 45 years of life, <laughs> uh, I don't have insomnia anymore. It's a miracle. Right. So I think it's, I mean, not that it's funny. I'm sure that there are people that have bad experiences, obviously, on Adderall, but I think that like with any medication, if it's the correct dose and the correct medication, you should not feel high at all. 
Right. Again, that would make me depressed that the Adderall... If I wasn't like... If my downloads didn't go up like 75%, I would be depressed that I was on Adderall. Put it like that. <laughs> because you think if you <laughs> yeah. take Adderall, more people are going to download the show. Yeah. I, if I'm on Adderall, I want more people to download the show. <laughs> I want a book coming out soon after, TV right. show, all that shit. Right. Um, I wish you could stay later because I want to play you this thing. How much time you got? I have a... Uh... I'm not gonna be if, if it, go. Just leave. Right. I, okay, I'm right, anxious bye. for you. I'm bye. anxious for bye. you. All right, Aaron left. I want to play this thing. I want to tell you a story, and I want to play this thing, and then we're gonna call it a show. And I want to thank fucking sober, and I want to uh, thank Aaron. I want to thank everybody, every, all the dopes in the dopey nation. Thank you for uh, for participating, being a part of this thing. Thank you, Cormac. Thank you, Dopey Nation Facebook folk. Thank you, Dopey Nation Zoom folk. There is a Dopey Nation Zoom. The Zoom address is 804-300-586. The password is always toodles in all lowercase. People uh, love the Dopey Zoom, including me. If you're on Patreon, we do a Dopey Patreon Zoom at the end of the month, which are also super fun. And um, I was at my dad's house the other day trying to get a bunch of stuff done. And I get to his house and I realized I had forgotten to do the daily reflection because we do the daily reflection every day. So we, I did the daily reflection and my dad was in it with me and he was really funny. Actually, it was a really funny daily reflection. You can go watch it on YouTube if you would like. So I often will be in his house and I, I look in his, his fridge and he has a, a, an egg roll, which he never will have in his fridge. He loves egg rolls, and he eats them usually really quickly. And he has three quarters of a quart of uh, wonton soup. And I'm like, Dad, why do you why do you have this egg roll and this wonton soup? And he's like, Oh, I'm losing weight, and I ordered two egg rolls and a quart of egg drop soup, wonton soup, and I only ate one of the egg rolls. And and he says, Don't eat the egg rolls, okay? He says, Don't eat the egg rolls. Don't eat the wonton soup. And I like dad i was like that's not that's not like you usually you want to feed your son and he got very upset and uh i'm running around getting a bunch of stuff done and and i had a guy come over to do an interview and he comes over to do the interview and uh he comes early and he tells me he's downstairs and i hadn't eaten lunch and i'm starving and i'm like fuck i need to eat something and i was like wait my dad had that egg roll and that wonton soup so i eat the egg roll and the wonton soup and they were like my dad said delicious i do the interview i'm running around the city i had problems you've heard with the roadcaster so i went to go fix it and i i call my dad to apologize for eating the egg roll and the wonton soup to which my father says it's okay you know it's okay he's like but but what about that daily reflection today it was so funny how do we get people to to listen to it. Why don't you play it on the show? And I told him, no, people have to watch it on the daily reflections, but I've had a change of heart and I decided, yes, I will play the daily reflection with my dad on dopey. So this was the daily reflection we did on that day when I ate his egg roll and wonton soup. I don't know if you guys find this kind of thing funny. It was too funny for me not to share. Well, here it is. And, um, and this is the rest of it. My dad on Good Morning Dopey, which you can see on YouTube in all of its glory. Uh, dad, come here. I'm doing the daily reflection. You want to do it? You don't need to, you don't need to sit. Do you pulling up a chair? Oh, 
I'm injured, remember? Oh, he's got a bad back. What do you, you want to say hello? I just said hello before. Well, yeah, you lost your voice, man. <clears throat> hello. You sure everybody can hear everybody with your great sound techniques? Yes. Uh, I'm, you want to read the daily reflection? Want me to read it? I'll read. I'll read it. I'll read it. You just listen and you can comment. Okay. Well, I don't even know where my glasses. Well, you don't need them. Just sit down and relax. Writing the harm, August seventeenth. Is that today? Yeah. Time is just flying by. Summer's almost over. You excited for summer to be over, Dad? Uh, you don't I'm a care. Scared. What are you scared? I gotta of? start teaching again, August thirty first. You excited to start teaching again? Fifty-seven years in a row. Well, not a row. You didn't do it last year. I I only missed the spring term. Okay, so that broke your streak. No, I was on sabbatical as well. So. All right, so here we go. <sighs> so um, tell them about your your physical ailments. I know you need to do that. No, kind of I thing. don't need to do that. I mean, I called I him. I called him yesterday with my four-year-old daughter, and he's like, "Susan, my back. You wouldn't believe it." She asked me how I was. She. So I, I, I don't think she did <laughs> ask you. I don't think she did. Um, she said, hi, Grandpa. You said, Susan, I can't believe how bad I am. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, writing the harm. It's a weird phrase. It should be writing the wrong, right? Writing the harm. What mm -hmm. do you think about that? No, maybe the harm. Means... It's the harms that I've done yeah. to you. <laughs> Count the ways. In many instances, we shall find that though the harm done others has not been great, the emotional harm we have done ourselves has. Mm. You prefer the harms to others, I know. Oh, that... 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 79. Yeah. Have you ever thought that the harm you did... Where are you going? Uh, it's my back. So, I'm so why did you sit down? Just to see how it was. <laughs> have you ever thought that the harm you did a business associate or perhaps a family member was so slight that it didn't really deserve an apology because they probably wouldn't remember it anyway. If that person and that wrong done to him keeps coming to mind time and again, causing an uneasy, perhaps guilty feeling, then I put that person's name at the top of my amends list and became willing to make a sincere apology, knowing I will feel calm and relaxed about that person once this very important part of my recovery is accomplished. Um, what? Makes, <clears throat> it makes sense, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> it's probably something that the other person couldn't care less about, but if it's bothering, if it's bothering uh, you, if it's bothering the, the person who feels this, yes, they should take care of it, absolutely. Don't let it fester. All right, that's it. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, I think that's it. Hey, okay. Anything else you want to add? Well, this idea, the idea of when somebody is an addict that that it affects them incredibly emotionally is, of course, important. But huh? I said, but uh, the no, harm, before that, what were you trying to say? The harm, the harm that's done to everybody in that person's immediate life is is also incredibly, incredibly painful to all those people. So I made a, I made a a formal amend to you. And I've made a living amend, and has the has the damage been swept clean? It's I just I had seven years. Oh, Dad, you didn't even know this. This morning we hit eight million downloads. I was about to bring it up. I thought exactly that was happening, and the fact that Nostradamus over here. 
Listen, you felt I, you felt it. No, I saw a seven point nine. By the way, yeah, never mind. I'm gonna re refer to something else. I see seven point nine million downloads. I said, okay, eight million is obviously coming, and it's today. Fabulous. I think now, it was yesterday. I think the, which was Chris's birthday, which is well, interesting. That's amazing. Also, uh, what uh, I'm gonna presume what a living amend is. A living amend means that the family members and the and the parents or the siblings, everybody sees that the person uh, who was causing all the harm all of a sudden is living a life that uh, is upright upright it's just just wonderful and yes i am incredibly grateful for your living amends. what about my formal amends um listen the only thing i worry about is is backsliding i mean i i and which i keep out of my head as much well it's as interesting possible. i was talking to a friend of mine who has a decrepit father uh, I beg your pardon? More decrepit than you. Oh, good. Um, no, or, I mean, or, not good. Sorry. Or Linda's father, who's yeah. so sick. Yes. You know, yeah. beyond sick. Uh, and I know for myself that when I hit, you know, maybe not your situation, but if I hit a situation like Linda's dad, or you in, let's say, six months from now, or something, where it's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, not good. Yes, I think I, that's the time where I would want to be on drugs. Frankly, I think I would want. That's why I, you know, get drugs. You mean to be oblivious to the? Well, no, forget oblivious. How about this assisted suicide? I mean, that's... no. Well, I see. I, that's what my friend was saying. I was saying no. I don't want assisted suicide. What I want is drugs, like high quantities of uh, opiates, weed, cigarettes. Like, I want to go out on a, you know... Well, if... Non-compass mentis, television, records, movies, the old good old days for the end. Yeah, the good old days. For the end. That's what I... I mean, that's not what you would want. You're having, you're living your best life now. Try, 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 try. I mean, listen, I'm just saying, like, I feel like... At, what do you think about old people, you know, older than you, a bit more decrepit than you... Uh, getting to enjoy uh, whatever they want at the end. The answer is I I would agree a hundred percent. But would they even know it? I mean, we're talking terrible situations. Well, exactly. Where, where they don't have any control over even even what they want or don't want. It's just a pathetic situation where. Like why extend a life? Exactly. So you're saying you're ready to go? No, I'm not. I'm ready just, to I'm go. just no. kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Relax. Just calm Jeez. down. Everything's gonna be okay. This is only the the weirdest part is like this is like after I'm dead, this is what Nora and Susan has these horrible daily reflections where they can see me as an idiot. I don't idiot. think they can look at this. No, you don't think don't so. Think so. No. no, it's interesting though if they ever would listen to Dopey, uh, which is not easy. Let me tell you, it's not easy. Uh, it wouldn't be week easy in and week out. You listening, it hasn't been easy. Uh, that what's his name? Joe John Ray John J John <laughs> Joseph John Joseph. I knew it was two J's in there. What a horrible life that poor man had to go through. I mean, it's amazing that he's if he's coming out the other end as as positive as this is fantastic. Really. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Say goodbye, Dad. Goodbye, Dopey Nation. Kudos uh, for Chris. Have a wonderful day. Yeah. Stay thank you. You too. Stay strong, my brothers and sisters, in and out of recovery. Um, please leave a comment. I'm sure you enjoyed my father on today's daily reflection. I th I did. I think you were incredible, Dad. Really nice work. Yeah, well, yes, you exaggerate. I think it was great. Okay. I really had a good time. All right, have a good day, everybody. Goodbye. So that was my dad on Good Morning Dopey, and, and, and I made a joke that uh, 
you know, I made a joke about him being decrepit and getting old and all this stuff. And the truth is my dad is incredible, is incredible shape for his age. And, uh, I appreciate him very much. And the idea that life is temporary is a very sad idea. So I'm very glad that I could play his glorious good morning, dopey daily reflection for you guys. That was that. Um, should I read an email before we go? I'll read an email before we go, and then we're going to go. Hey, Dave, big fan of the podcast. I have never really considered trying to send in an email or voicemail because all of my stories are super fucking vanilla. But I figured I'd attempt to deliver something dopey adjacent by riding the coattails of some of the characters I've come across in my drug use. I thought about one of the most tropey, picturesque dealers I've ever bought from, whom I met in New Orleans and was saved in my phone as Diet Pepsi, a nickname for Adderall that we were pretty proud of, that we were pretty proud of at that time, which was born out of a night of railing blow and insisting that Adderall literally is diet cocaine. A friend of mine, a normie from school where alcohol and drug use were normalized and rampant, made the mistake of telling me about an interaction he had in which his lab partner from science class told him she could probably hook him up with Adderall. I remember asking for the phone number, Fast forward to a night of drinking or studying or both. We decided we want some uppers. I had been obsessing over the phone number since I got it, fixated on the potential drug source. So I jumped on the opportunity to justify texting it. For the group, of course. We got no response until about three days later when we received saying, it's snowing. After realizing we were getting coke and we forgot the three-day delay, we proceeded with the sketchy back and forth via text of vague directions and timelines and broken English to coordinate the pickup. Eventually, a friend and I take the streetcar to a Mediterranean restaurant that has a condo above it. We walk up the stairs and wait per the instructions. We are then greeted by two giant pit bulls who sniff us out and give a green light to the shadow behind the door, who slowly cracked it open, letting us in. The entire place was completely covered in cash and cocaine. Wu-Tang blasted at a calculated level, not too loud to draw attention. The lab partner was there with messy hair and acne that I could spot a junkie from a mile away and her skinny, scantily, scantily, clad, scantily clad girlfriends were sitting on a leather sectional cutting up lines in a mirror. Razor blades, straws, credit cards, keys, rolled up dollar bills. I guess they hadn't yet learned the hack of using plastic tampon applicators in lieu of straws which works suspiciously well and almost always leads me into theorizing that the tampon industry and cartels are, should be in cahoots somehow. The girl's raccoon eyes look up and then quickly put their noses back down unbothered and continue snorting. Standing in the back of the in the kitchen, stolid was the dealer, the lab partner's Ukrainian boyfriend living on an empire on an expired fiance visa. We shyly ask for an eight ball, and he nods and approaches the scale, motioning for us to stay back, mansplaining that weighing out the Coke is a very delicate process. We offered us, he offered us sniff tests off a plastic knife, takes our money, and bags our shit. We happily, yayo, left with our upgraded Adderall, and we're told to only contact him if it's about the weather. I still crack up remembering all the times we sent a text in the humid-ass 100-degree New Orleans heat, to the green card couple living above a Mediterranean restaurant asking, is it snowing today? It's more of a character portrait than a dopey story, but I hope you enjoyed. Thanks for all the great content, BLB. That was in honor of, of Aaron. 
she would have gotten a really big kick out of that. Too bad I didn't give it to her when she was here. Anyway, thank everybody. Thank you, BLB. Thank you, fucking sober. Thank you, dad. Thank you, Aaron Carr. Thank you, Dopey Nation. Thank you, Cormac. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Send in an email. Send in a voicemail. Uh, I'm sure I owe you a ton of shit. Let me know what I owe you uh, in terms of shipping. Buy gear from that incredible Cincinnati-based company, SRO Prints. They also have a, an offshoot company called, uh, what's it called? Uh, Always a Hoot. And they make amazing Grateful Dead-based gear, of which I've been wearing it constantly. So thank you for the Dead-based gear. Always a Hoot. I love your shit. And stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand they pay it any mind when I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds because peace and love are very 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 hard to find and I wanna be good so bad wanna be good so bad so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had